0: chapter 29 of the sea wolf this LibreVox recording is in the public domain the sea wolf by jack london chapter 29 fool i cried aloud in my vexation i had unloaded the boat and carried its contents high upon the beach where i had set about making a camp there was driftwood though not much on the beach and the sight of a coffee-tin I had taken from the ghost's larder had given me the idea of a fire. "'Blithering idiot!' I was continuing. But Maud said, "'Tut-tut!' in gentle reproval, and then asked why I was a blithering idiot. "'No matches!' I groaned. "'Not a match did I bring. "'And now we shall have no hot coffee, soup, tea, or anything.' wasn't it er uh, crusoe who rubbed sticks together she drawled but i have read the personal narratives of a score of shipwrecked men who tried and tried in vain i answered i remember winters a newspaper fellow with an alaskan and siberian reputation met him at the Bibelot once and he was telling us how he attempted to make a fire with a couple of sticks it was most amusing he told it inimitably, but it was the story of a failure. I remember his conclusion, his black eyes flashing as he said, "'Gentlemen, the South Sea Islanders may do it, the Malay may do it, but take my word, it's beyond the white man.' "'Oh, well, we've managed so far without it,' she said cheerfully, "'and there's no reason we cannot still manage without it.' "'But think of the coffee,' I cried." It's good coffee, too, I know. I took it from Larson's private stores, and look at that good wood. I confess, I wanted the coffee badly, and I learned, not long afterward, that the berry was likewise a little weakness of Maud's. Besides, we had been so long on a cold diet that we were numb inside as well as out. Anything warm would have been most gratifying. But I complained no more, and set about making a tent of the sale for Maud. I had looked upon it as a simple task what of the oars mast boom and sprit to say nothing of plenty of lines but as I was without experience and as every detail was an experiment and every successful detail an invention the day was well gone before her shelter was an accomplished fact and then that night it rained and she was flooded out and driven back into the boat The next morning I dug a shallow ditch around the tent, and, an hour later, a sudden gust of wind, whipping over the rocky wall behind us, picked up the tent and smashed it down on the sand thirty yards away. Maud laughed at my crestfallen expression, and I said, As soon as the wind abates I intend going in the boat to explore the island. There must be a station somewhere, and men, and ships must visit the station. Some government must protect all these seals, but I wish to have you comfortable before I start." "'I should like to go with you,' was all she said. "'It would be better if you remained. You have had enough of hardship. It is a miracle that you have survived, and it won't be comfortable in the boat rowing and sailing in this rainy weather. What you need is rest, and I should like you to remain and get it.' something suspiciously akin to moistness dimmed her beautiful eyes before she dropped them and partly turned away her hat i should prefer going with you she said in a low voice in which there was just a hint of appeal i might be able to help you uh, her voice broke a little and if anything should happen to you think of me left here alone oh i intend being very careful i answered and i shall not go so far but what i can get back before night yes all said and done i think it vastly better for you to remain and sleep and rest and do nothing she turned and looked me in the eyes her gaze was unfaltering but soft please please she said oh so softly i stiffened myself to refuse and shook my head still she waited and looked at me i tried to word my refusal but wavered i saw the glad light spring into her eyes and knew that i had lost it was impossible to say no after that the wind died down in the afternoon and we were preparing to start the following morning there was no way of penetrating the island from our cove for the walls rose perpendicularly from the beach, and on either side of the cove rose from the deep water. Morning broke dull and gray but calm, and I was awake early and had the boat in readiness. "'Fool! Imbecile! Yahoo!' I shouted, when I thought it was me to arouse Maud, but this time I shouted in merriment as I danced about the beach, bareheaded and mock despair her head appeared under the flap of the sail. "'What now?' she asked sleepily, and withal curiously. "'Coffee!' I cried. "'What do you say to a cup of coffee? "'Hot coffee, piping hot?' "'My!' she murmured. "'You startled me, and you were cruel. "'Here I have been composing my soul to do without it, "'and here you are vexing me with your vain suggestions.' "'Watch me,' I said." From under clefts among the rocks I gathered a few dry sticks and chips. These I whittled into shavings or split into kindling. From my notebook I tore out a page, and from the ammunition box took a shotgun shell. Removing the wads from the latter with my knife, I emptied the powder on a flat rock. Next I pried the primer, or cap, from the shell, and laid it on the rock in the midst of the scattered powder. All was ready. Maud still watched from the tent. Holding the paper in my left hand, I smashed down upon the cap with a rock held in my right. There was a puff of white smoke, a burst of flame, and the rough edge of the paper was alight. Maud clapped her hands gleefully. ''Prometheus!'' she cried, but I was too occupied to acknowledge her delight the feeble flame must be cherished tenderly if it were to gather strength and live i fed it shaving by shaving and sliver by sliver till at last it was snapping and crackling as it laid hold of the smaller chips and sticks to be cast away on an island had not entered into my calculations so we were without a kettle or cooking utensil of any sort but i made shift with the tin used for baling the boat and later as we consumed our supply of canned goods we accumulated quite an imposing array of cooking vessels i boiled the water but it was maud who made the coffee and how good it was my contribution was canned beef fried with crumbled sea-biscuit and water the breakfast was a success and we sat about the fire much longer than enterprising explorers should have done sipping the hot black coffee and talking over our situation. I was confident that we should find a station in some of the coves, for I knew that the rookeries of the Bering Sea were thus guarded, but Maud advanced the theory, to prepare me for disappointment, I do believe, if disappointment were to come, that we had discovered an unknown rookery. She was in very good spirits however and made quite merry in accepting our plight as a grave one if you are right I said then we must prepare to winter here our food will not last but there are the seals they go away in the fall so i must soon begin to lay in a supply of meat then there will be huts to build and driftwood to gather also we shall try out seal fat for lighting purposes altogether we'll have our hands full if we find the island uninhabited which we shall not i know but she was right we sailed with a beam wind along the shore searching the coves with our glasses and landing occasionally without finding a sign of human life yet we learned that we were not the first who had landed on endeavour island high up on the beach of the second cove from ours we discovered the splintered wreck of a boat a sealer's boat for the rowlocks were bound in senate a gun-rack was on the starboard side of the bow and in white letters was faintly visible gazelle number two the boat had lain there for a long time for it was half filled with sand and the splintered wood had that weather-worn appearance due to long exposure to the elements in the stern-sheets i found a rusty ten-gauge shotgun and the sailor's sheath-knife broken short across and so rusted as to be almost unrecognizable. They got away, I said cheerfully, but I felt a sinking at the heart and seemed to divine the presence of bleached bones somewhere on that beach. I did not wish Maud's spirits to be dampened by such a find, so I turned seaward again with our boat and skirted the north-eastern point of the island. There were no beaches on the southern shore, and by early afternoon we rounded the black promontory and completed the circumnavigation of the island i estimated its circumference at 25 miles its width is varying from 2 to 5 miles while my most conservative calculation placed on its beaches 200000 seals the island was highest at its extreme southwestern point The headlands and backbone diminishing regularly, until the northeastern portion was only a few feet above the sea. With the exception of our little cove, the other beaches sloped gently back for a distance of half a mile or so into what I might call rocky meadows, with here and there patches of moss and tundra grass. Here the seals hauled out, and the old bulls guarded their harems, while the young bulls hauled out by themselves this brief description is all that endeavour island merits damp and soggy where it was not sharp and rocky buffeted by storm winds and lashed by the sea with the air continually a tremble with the bellowing of two hundred thousand amphibians it was a melancholy and miserable sojourning-place maud who had prepared me for disappointment and who had been sprightly and vivacious all day broke down as we landed in our own little cove. She strove bravely to hide it from me, but while I was kindling another fire I knew she was stifling her sobs in the blanket under the sail-tent. It was my turn to be cheerful, and I played the part to the best of my ability, and with such success that I brought the laughter back into her dear eyes and song on her lips, for she sang to me before she went to an early bed. It was the first time I had heard her sing, and I lay by the fire, listening and transported, for she was nothing if not an artist in everything she did, and her voice, though not strong, was wonderfully sweet and expressive. I still slept in the boat, and I lay awake long that night, gazing up at the first stars I had seen in many nights, and pondering the situation. Responsibility of this sort was a new thing to me. Wolf Larsen had been quite right. I had stood on my father's legs. My lawyers and agents had taken care of my money for me. I had had no responsibilities at all. Then, on the ghost, I had learned to be responsible for myself, and now, for the first time in my life, I found myself responsible for someone else, and it was required of me that this should be the gravest of responsibilities. For she was the one woman in the world, the one small woman, as I love to think of her. End of chapter 29